Welcome to Be On Purpose with Anita and Gail. We strive to create a positive and rejuvenating space for you to learn, share and grow. Our conversations are about the things that make life sweet, sometimes challenging and always interesting. We hope to make you smile, give you pause for thought, broaden your experience, but most importantly, empower you to live your life on purpose. Hello and welcome to our next episode of Be On Purpose. This episode is called The Incubation of Life. And here we'll be talking all things pregnancy and fertility as well. We'll be touching on that. And we are thrilled to yet again have a complete teak contingent. So we have Tony, myself, Ellen and Gail, Anita, of course, and Karen as the teak contingent. So we'll be talking to them individually about their experiences. And it's important to say as well that these are just our experiences and to do your your research, we will put some links into the show notes about some of the things we'll be talking about. Um, But we'll be very honest and um, clear about our experiences of pregnancy and birth from our perspectives. And so thank you very much for joining us on this conversation. And Anita, I think we're going to start with you, my sweet, because um, not only are you, are you the head of the of the Teak Massives, um, you are also the first of us to, to be pregnant and to have children. So just from your perspective, I just wanted to touch on a few questions. Sure, um, sure. I appreciate that you said head as opposed to oldest. I appreciate uh, yeah, that. I had to you. think about it, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know if you want to do, do you want to do your facts first? Touch on your on your facts about about, pre- about pre- as we know Anita likes to do the fact finding, don't you? My facts and things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in my uh, my research, um, just some general basic information around pregnancy, which is also known as gestation. Um, so that's classified as the time during which one or more offspring is developing inside a woman, and some of the signs and symptoms of early pregnancy. Um, which differs for many women. And I, I guess as we're talking about our, our different experiences mm-hmm. here today, um, I'm sure it'll be interesting to see what some of those early signs were for each of us when we realised there might be a human being inside of me. <laughs> um, so, but they, although they differ, there are some, um, some key early signs which, which are common amongst most women, things like missing your period, um, getting tender breasts, morning sickness, which I know some people suffer with, not just in the morning and not just in the early stages, increased hunger and frequent urination. Um, and pregnancy is divided into three trimesters. And I'm sure at some point we'll have our resident professional mm. chip in tell mm-hmm, us a little bit mm-hmm. more about what's happening to our bodies in each of those three trimesters. Um, but yes, it is a the pregnancy is the period of time through which we develop the miracle of life inside our bodies. It is quite a miracle. And I mean, I don't have the statistics in front of me. As you know, I am not the statistician, but the, we do know that it's, um, it's, very, it's a very small, that we come to be is a real miracle that, we come, to, that we come to be. So I just want to talk to you or ask you, Nita, in terms of your own experience of the first, if you can cast your mind back, because your daughter is now, how old is your eldest daughter, Anita? She's 25, girl. At time of recording. Um, so 25 years ago, your earliest experience of finding out that you were, in fact, growing a human inside of you. Can you 
just talk us through that experience well um the first thing that comes to mind actually and it was one of my fun facts that i was going to give you a little bit later but i'll give you one of my one of my uh, 10 top 10 fun facts about pregnancy um to start off my conversation around my um my experience and that fun fact is that there is approximately 30 no sorry wrong wrong stat um, women who are taking some sort of birth control are qualified, 60% of women using birth control to some extent during the month of pregnancy occurring, which so, um, there are, of all pregnancies, at least 60% of women who find themselves to be pregnant were using some sort of birth control. That's, that's troubling, isn't it? Yeah. So that's troubling statistic. That was me. So now I would, I would then echo and underscore, if you look at any sort of uh, contraception that you're using, it does say that it is 99, usually 99.9. <laughs> that 1%, you see, means that it's not 100% um, effective. effective. Um, however, yes, I was, I was actually taking the pill at the time. Um, so I was a little surprised, to say the least. <laughs> surprised, you say? I found myself um, pregnant with my first daughter. Um, so yeah, going back to the mid nineties then, and I guess the other, the other factor in that story, in my story is that I wasn't in the UK. So I, um, had both of my children in the United States. I think I've mentioned that before. So it was a very, um, from the time I found out that I was pregnant and after I got over the surprise of that and shared that with my partner, we then had almost a very guided process that we went to the doctor, had a blood test to confirm that information. And then I just was almost put on a treadmill of obstetrician appointments and um, birth plans and hospital visits, etc. But it was, I would say, a relatively uneventful pregnancy. It, mm. In terms of, I didn't, I didn't have um, a lot of the really debilitating um, symptoms. I didn't have morning sickness really. I craved, some weird things and i'm sure we'll talk about food cravings as well later <laughs> in my fun facts um chicken wings specifically and what's interesting about that is i am a vegetarian i am a vegetarian so um very specifically uh spiced barbecue chicken wings was something that i was very interested in when pregnant with uh, with my first daughter but yeah i i have to say and part of this may be just the lack of remembering because 25 years ago <laughs> I feel like it was a fairly uneventful pregnancy up until the point where I was um, getting ready to deliver, so nine months. And I had asked just the one thing of God during this time of, of incubating a human that, um, if possible, my waters would not break in a public place. That was all I had really asked. Um, I was in the Walmart at the time <laughs> when my waters broke, just buying some things for the baby. So in the baby aisle that's where my water's now broke. then now then i've got a follow-up question then because then you hear about people if you break your waters in a like in a in a store <clears throat> yeah do that did they give you some freebies did you get I've, some... I've heard of this uh occurrence that was not my experience no <laughs> no unfortunately didn't get free nappies for the rest of them no i paid for the items that i'd come in for and, left the store, and there was no further communication with me <laughs> but walmart if you are listening and would like to retrospectively provide any support to my now 25 year old child uh, we would gratefully receive that it's not, it's not a problem to walmart do i'm very surprised maybe that was just the cleaning up of the waters that was yeah. Uh, and it was a while ago. I don't know how recently true. they started doing this whole because um, I know Chick Fil A is another one where you get your child gets Chick Fil A for life if you uh, your water's broke. Yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, that was my first experience of a pregnancy there. Huh. And in terms of enjoyment, there's two sides. Do you remember something, spe something specific that you were like, yeah, this is a, this is a great benefit of uh, being pregnant. And then the other side of, this is the downside of being pregnant. Can you remember anything specific around those those two? I mean, you could bring in your other your other pregnancies where you have two children, don't I you? I do, I do. And they were very different. Mm. Um, when I was pregnant the second time, I think I carried very differently. Um, I probably felt the pregnancy more in my body the second time. Um, so when I say uneventful the first time, I, I carried quite small with, mm. with my first daughter. And so it didn't, other than, I think the most significant thing was my feet size, my foot size changed. That was the thing that alarmed me. Because I remember you telling me that you had a different, sh and I couldn't understand. Did you have an explanation of that? <laughs> I do actually have an explanation of that, Gail. Thank That's you so much for size. asking. It is actually in one of my fun facts that um, you're... We're just cracking through these fun facts, yeah, mate. Exactly. Accidental, didn't, accidentally. I didn't think I was going to do that. But your feet can grow up to one full size when you're pregnant. Um, and that is a couple of reasons for that. There's a loosening of your ligaments in your feet. <sighs> While you're pregnant, well, all of your ligaments in your body, but in your feet, obviously, the ligaments that are there, you're you're a little heavier whilst you're pregnant. So with loosened ligaments and more weight gain, your feet spread, um, and so that weight gain and the associated swelling with pregnancy um, sometimes leads to a change in your actual foot size. For most women, that does go back. You don't you don't have to throw out your shoes, ladies. Um, oh, what a shame! It does go back to a different size, but mine went back down half a size so i went up a whole full size each pregnancy but i went back down half after i've had them so overall i did change one whole shoe size in pregnancy wow was so was that go back to the, the question then was that a, a benefit be able to go and get a whole new wardrobe of shoes or well no because my feet were so fat with the second <laughs> child that shoes were not really an option for me it was more it was more of a slip-in sandal arrangement <laughs> by the time and the other thing was i worked during the both of my pregnancies pretty much up until the week before i had both of them i think yeah with the first one i i planned because she was late so i my work end date was planned for the week before she was due but because she was late i actually had a couple of weeks at home which was nice i suppose just to prepare myself and do the nesting and all of that but um no the maternity leave back then and obviously in a different country it was very different so i only had 12 weeks maternity leave so i kind of maximized wow. the time that i would have off afterwards which is why i worked <laughs> up until as as far as i could which is why i suppose it was quite good that my experience in terms of my physical feeling was such that I was able to continue working without too much discomfort. Mm -hmm. The second one, like I said, more so. And as I got to the end of that pregnancy, um, I was quite keen for it to end. <laughs> uh, because she was significantly bigger. I was significantly bigger as well, but it was she was a bigger baby. And so the impact on my body was, was more significant. I had a lot of back pain um, with her. And my stomach was huge was quite quite a pointy one that yeah. was quite yeah. a quite a big one yeah. well thank you for sharing those we will come back to um the comparative the comparative pregnancies a little bit later on but i think i'd just like to bring in the medical professional uh, of our of our contingent here tony um and bring in you and your experiences my sweet um and your i'd like to talk to you a little bit about your teen pregnancy experience and, and what that was for you how that was for you and your initial findings out of your incubation of life incubation uh yes 
Well, as you quite rightly stated, I was quite young um, with my first pregnancy. And I think it was a combination genetically, as Anita had stated, regarding the, uh, the contraceptive uh, element. <laughs> element of failure. But also there was a lot of ignorance on my part. So I was taking contraceptives. Um, however, I had also become quite unwell at one point and at sixteen at the point where I would have gotten pregnant. I was seventeen when I found out, but yeah, I worked it out, I would have actually been sixteen and I don't think I'd have had I had enough discussion around things that could go wrong when taking the pill. Mm -hmm. I was just sort of mm -hmm. I asked for the pill, I was given the pill and it wasn't really discussed that if you have diarrhea, vomiting, might not work. So <laughs> What with your body expelling what simple yeah and, I, and you know as an adult now it's com it's common sense to me and also obviously working in the field and giving out medications if you're ill the mm. medications may not work however that's how i believe i probably then stumbled across this uh, incubation period and it was uh yes yeah, quite the surprise to me happily working away uh, in next and i, I fainted and um, was taken to hospital and the doctor came in and was like, well, you know, obviously being pregnant. So I was like, what? Because <laughs> <laughs> he was telling me that this could happen when I was pregnant. Because they'd taken bloods and they'd taken all stuff to, to test why I'd be, why I'd fainted. So yeah, that was how I discovered I was pregnant, laying in the A&E. That's quite frightening, I would have thought. It was a little bit frightening, yes, just a little bit. Um, I don't know if the fear was the pregnancy or the fear of telling my parents, which was stronger, I don't know mm. which one was mm. stronger. Probably mm. the fear, actually, of, oh my God, how am I going to tell my mum and dad? Mm. Um, yeah, I think that was what was heavily weighing on my mind more. I don't think I registered about the pregnancy till quite a few weeks later. It was more about the repercussions of said pregnancy right 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 and again that's quite ignorant i think because most people finding out they're pregnant would consider all the pregnancy baby things first mine was like ah what am i gonna do i don't know if i'm, I'm gonna be, i'm gonna step into our kindness moment here Tony, <laughs> from from our previous season i don't know if it's ignorance necessarily i think if you're if you're at the stage in your life where you're 16 you're 16 and so your experience up until that point is a 16 year old person you know so i don't mm. think it's necessarily ignorance it's just Maybe naivety, maybe. Oh, yeah, that's, kind of, that's a kinder word. Kind mm. of word, I'm sorry, back to you. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> um, so, no, I was quite lucky that I was very well supported by um, both my family and um, father's, the father's family. They were all really, really supportive. So I think that kind of played a huge part in me being able to um, come to terms with the pregnancy and... I don't know that I would say I enjoyed being pregnant, <laughs> especially at that age, because mm. all your friends are having fun. Um, and so it is it is hard to be 17 and ginormous, because I was a huge, I was very, very, very large in my pregnancy. And then also I'd moved away from my friends uh, down to the countryside. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was it was a bit of a lonely experience. I was very supportive though, like I said, so I didn't feel um, that I, oh, I didn't have to worry about anything in terms of like financially or anything like that. So I'm, I'm also again quite blessed in that regard. But yeah, it's probably quite a lonely pregnancy, I would imagine. Looking back, my 22, 22 years back now. Goodness. Um, Goodness. And Remember I, like it was yesterday, Tony. <laughs> yeah, and then also I think. Being so young and wanting to embrace um, 
the learning about being pregnant. So going to the antenatal classes and to doing what you know, I would have had similar doctor's visits and midwife appointments. There's a very large stigma, especially mm. back then. Well, mm. even now actually, but there's a really huge stigma mm-hmm. with uh, teenage mums. So I wasn't, I didn't feel like I had the community of, oh, we're all pregnant together. So at the antenatal classes, not the mums wouldn't talk to me. A lot of the midwives didn't talk to you. No, not really. No, didn't really. They're all kind of chatting, having coffees, and yeah, I was just kind of like the girl. And, yeah, no one really spoke to me. So How awful. I just I, I just took the learning. That's what I was there. I was like, well, I'm here to learn. I'm not actually here to make friends anyway. So I just... Fair enough. What a great... So point. I just took my notepad, <laughs> jotted down the information that I needed. Um, and it wasn't until I actually went into labour and gave birth that I had a midwife that was just outstanding and was the person who actually made me want to become a midwife. Ah, Leslie well, Harrison. Wow. We're all still in touch. Yes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Is, she, is she the lady who still speaks to mum? Yes, yes. She, her and my mother, our mother, sorry, still correspond throughout the year, Christmas cards and whatnot, and she's still, yeah. What a wonderful human. She was. She was She was so, so lovely and so supportive, and she was the first person that didn't make me feel like, oh, God, another teenage mum. Like, right, you know, right. you're not going to amount to anything. Oh, God, you don't know what you're doing. She was so, so lovely, and I had her for... And it's, it's crazy, because I would have only have known her for about... 12 to 15 hours max but she had the most impact on my entire nine months mm, there's so. a word there's a word in there people mm-hmm. there's a word just in never there. know mm-hmm. what impact you are going to have is that ripple isn't it and because that ripple that is manifested mm-hmm. in your life that is your now your profession mm-hmm. from that interaction that small interaction relatively speaking mm-hmm. has now impacted and manifested itself into your choice of how you you know what the profession that you chose and how you and how you deliver the care i think sorry to mm. talk to you but it's that the most important thing to me was about how she delivered her care and how she made me feel i remember thinking that i wished i'd had midwives like her the whole way through right. and then from that thinking well i want to be a midwife so i can make people feel the way that she made me feel Amazing. And obviously then i took quite a long-winded route to get to midwifery but uh, <laughs> got there in the end <laughs> i'm really glad you brought that because that was one of my next questions is has that informed your prof- or how has that informed your professional i mean we've deferred to you about every kind of professional <laughs> a medical professional <laughs> problem from pregnancy right the way through to you know a ache of my toe but how has that informed your professional experience your own pregnancy with this amazing human now we've just discovered well i think for me she was it was about we're doing this together we're a team you can do it Mm -hmm. i'm here to support you these are your choices i'm here to help you with your choices and to support you it was it was a team effort it wasn't someone coming in and almost looking down and just like right you need to do this 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 and this she's like she came the first thing she said she's like don't worry tony we are going to do this together that's the first thing that she said to me so Leslie already. <laughs> Leslie. Yeah, she, she just says to me, "Don't worry." She said, "Don't worry." That's the first thing she said to me. So um, yeah, that all that for me. Then moving forward, I always want, whether it be midwifery or nursing, I always want people to feel like it's a, a team effort. Mm-hmm. You are in charge of your own body and your own care. I'm here to support that and to give Perfect. you information. Mm as much as information I can but I'm not here to dictate mm-hmm. that's what's important that's what I think is important anyway in my practice 
which doesn't always go down well with the doctors, I have to say. There's mm. a little bit of a dictatorship in that regard. <laughs> we know what's best. And I'm all sort of like, here's the information. This is what I know. What do you think? <laughs> right. And, but, and the, but you've brought in that other point as well. Is, it is the person's body, isn't it? It's the person's body. Um, and they therefore they do know what's... And different people are different in... I mean, we'll come to Karen. Karen, we'll come to you in a moment. We know you're very, very in tune with your body. And not everybody is. Not everybody is. But... The, the approach that you've just spoken about is empowering the, the woman who's given birth. He's, this is your body, we'll do it together. You know what you're feeling and stuff. So empowerment. Yeah. Key word, that is a key word, is empowering people. So many people come into hospitals, clinics, and it's almost like they strip themselves of their identity because they think that they are in the presence of people who know better. Right. Right. And in many cases, we it's not that it's not that healthcare professionals know better. We have more of an insight into the body, into medicine, into things right. like that. But ultimately we don't live with people we don't go home with them we don't you know interact with them in their daily lives mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what their jobs and what they have going on so i think it's just definitely about information providing and finding what's the best thing holistics my favorite word holistic care <laughs> means looking at that person as an individual and mm-hmm. holistically what works best for them that's oh beautiful tony absolutely beautiful now i know you're the only one that's i'm going to come to you in just a moment karen but uh i know you're the um only one of the three three pregnant speaking ladies here who's had multiple you've had the highest multiple births um and what would be your one line of experience on those multiple births because we're going to come and talk talk about comparing different births but if you could just when you say multiple she doesn't mean twins she just means i've had three singleton babies oh sorry yes yes she's had three (laughs) different babies karen's had two and had two but tony's had three um so so just repeat the question. <laughs> what would be your one line about if you could do it? If you, want, if you haven't got one line, that's fine. We'll move on to Karen. We'll come back. So we're going to comp- I don't want you to compare necessarily, mm-hmm. but as having had three pregnancies, what would be your line about all of what you've just said? Is you know you to your own body. What would be your one line about the three different pregnancies that you've had? If you can, uh, trust your own body. Mm-hmm. Trust your own body. That's what I think. Fabulous. Thank you. That takes us nice, nice into Karen, who does know her body very well. Mm-hmm. Trusting your body. Hi there, Karen. Hi. Hi, Hi there. Hi. Um, and now, I don't even want to say the phrase that they've said that your pregnancy falls within. Uh, I'm going to allow you to say, because you, you had your babies quite later in life than um, Anita mm. and Tony. What's the, what's the term that they use for that particular... Ooh, I'm hoping somebody... There is one, and I feel like it's got Jerry. Jerry. Geriatric. It is actually geriatric, geriatric. and that's just over 35, is that right, Tony? Yeah, they're trying to get that changed, but yes, it is over 35, you're a geriatric mother. Yeah, and when you were talking about your experience as being, you felt like you were the only teenage mum, it's interesting because I was thinking, oh, I felt the opposite. When I used to go to, actually it was more the mother and baby groups I used to go to, I used to feel like I was so old, because everybody else seemed so young, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I feel like I had the, the opposite experience, but um, yeah, that's jumping ahead to after the baby. But what, what no, was your no, question no, about no, being no, a no, geriatric that, mother? That was all I was, <laughs> I was just wanting to ask your experience of a geriatric pregnancy, because of course you're not geriatric in the kind of the um, traditional version. When you think of geriatric, you think of old people mm. doddering along. So you are not that. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to find out your experience, if you could talk a little bit around your experience of being an older considered an older mum because you weren't old at all yeah I don't think it really impacted 
my treatment or care only insofar as I'd said early on I wanted to have a home birth mm. and I think that was raised as one of the initial I'll say objections because um, I don't think that's the first choice really within the medical community when they when you go into their care like as Tony spoke about being put on the treadmill of of care and it depends on the individuals you get but I think it's a concern amongst the medical community if you want to have a home birth and you're a geriatric mm. um, but I was lucky enough to have people who still supported that choice but I don't think it really factored much into the pregnancy really beyond that um, I didn't give it a second thought <laughs> well, no, I, th I think you just like we keep saying you, know, you do know your body quite well so regardless of whatever age your body is you know what your body needs I think mm. that you are one of the most empowered people that I know, Karen. So if you don't want to do something, or you do want to do something, I mm. think you'd be empowered enough to say so. But one of the things that we spoke about, um, or we have been speaking about, you know, you mentioned the home home birth experience. Could you just talk to us a little bit about why you chose the home birth experience and then what that home birth experience was like for you? Um, I think it's fair to, um, especially of recent years, recent bit for me being so like the last 10 or so years, I've been a little sceptical of the medical um, medical inf interventions for me personally. Mm. I, I tend, my first go-tos are alternative health, mm -hmm. natural health. Um, and in doing some research about giving birth, it felt to me that once you entered hospital, and this is obviously my own personal opinion, my own personal experience, it felt to me like once you entered hospital to give birth, you were then put on a another, so you're on a, a treadmill of maternal care from the time you, you are find out you're pregnant, but then once you're on the labour mm -hmm. treadmill, it felt like once you enter hospital, there was a series of events that were much more likely to happen inverted commas unnecessarily right. Right, right. than if you remained at home and went through the process of labor and childbirth naturally and i wanted to avoid all those other increased um, risks of interventions mm -hmm. so i would completely concur with that karen because i think for it for me with both of my children i had an epidural which was just part and parcel of being in hospital. And I never questioned whether or not I even really needed that. Uh, specifically with the first one. The second one, I, I guess I, I kind of knew what to expect. And so while I initially had tried to do the whole, yeah, I'm gonna do this without drugs, because I think because I was in a hospital setting and ended up having to have drugs to help me with progress my labor, it then required me to then have the epidural. Whereas I suppose if you're in a home setting, like you're saying, there's, there's a number of interventions that probably are not even gonna be consideration mm. because you're not in that space mm. I never I never for one moment even considered the first time around that I could do it without like it was just you go in the mm. anesthesiologist comes you get your epidural mm. and you know that mm. that that intervention obviously completely alters what your experience is of of giving birth exactly exactly and, and so those there was a number of things I wanted to try and experience if possible which was as the, the as natural experience of it, being able to feel it without the intervention of drugs. And when I say feel it, I'm not talking about necessarily, I wanted to feel the pain. <laughs> you know, just experience it in its entirety. I didn't want to be- Holistically. Holistically, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't want to, to miss elements of it because I was either zoned out or um, 
tepid. You, you know, you can't literally can't feel it. I wanted to, to experience it. Mm. Thought I'm gonna do it. Let's experience it fully and holistically. <laughs> so um, yeah, and I wanted, if possible, to avoid a cesarean, which becomes infinitely much more likely right. once you've entered hospital. Um, so weighing up the pros and cons and the risks and benefits, um, I decided that you know, as a healthy, what was I then, thirty-eight year old, um, that I would. I would go for a home birth and I was supported by my midwife who happened to be a man called Simon um, to do that. I, I, I was really, it's quite interesting, this is switching topics, but I was really surprised when I went to my first midwife appointment and it was a man, but that just... No, please tell us, I'm glad you brought it up because you, you educated, well certainly me, I'd never heard of a male, a male midwife before, but please, please tell, tell our listeners. No, and no, how, and how many men were in your class totally when you did midwifery, that's, that's, that's see how that may have changed true. in the time. Well, there was only uh, one, actually. Mm. There's only one, and it is, and it is always very interesting. Sorry, Cameron, to interject with, 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 the, with the male-female dynamic because in hospital people are always shocked to see a male midwife to the point of some people will refuse to see a male midwife, but yet so many of our obstetricians are male, so they're happy mm. for the male doctor to come in and stick their hand in places that they're not happy for a male midwife to stick wow. their hand in and that, and that was what always was really baffling to me is that they just it's normalized for the obstetrician to be male but not the midwife that's all it is it's expectations that's it and how prepared people are to shift out of their expectation into the reality that is before them so you know i remember being like oh it's a man but then being like, well, how cool that it's a man. Um, I don't recall there being any male midwives at my actual, no, there weren't. The first home, the first birth, which was a home birth, they were, it was three ladies. Um, and I remember, I remember asking you, I was saying, it, it, shouldn't it be a, a mid-husband then? And you were like, no, why, why shouldn't it be? Tell, tell Alison's why it shouldn't be a, a Ooh, No, I can't remember the exact, maybe you would he, Simon explained to me, because I asked, I asked him, um, but the term midwife it just means with, with woman. Yeah, ah. midwife is just yeah, with woman. So that's what the term embodies. So whether it's male or female, that is that the term it's about the pregnant yeah, woman. It's about being with ah. the woman. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yes, yes. Thank you. So oh, we haven't spoken. Just jumping back a little bit about you first finding out about your pregnancy. Can you? Yeah, how that was for you. I when I found out for sure, for sure. I have to say, I already knew. I, there was a there was a point where, and I just remember it being August the eighth. Knows her body. Knows her body. Well, <laughs> when we skip forward to the second pregnancy, girl, I'm going to disavow you of that illusion. I'm <laughs> <laughs> kind of knows her body. Okay, I'm sorry. Carry on. Carry on. <laughs> but there's just something because I, I obviously the pre- previous discussions were talked about how you guys were on birth control when you found out. I wasn't. I'd kind of opened my body to the possibility of pregnancy um and indeed uh, it took that opportunity <laughs> took that opportunity so i maybe was looking for for signs um but there came a point where i just thought i feel like i'm pregnant and actually at that point i didn't have regular cycles to rely upon as well oh, i've missed my period right um, right right it's not really until a year after the birth of my second child that i got regular cycles so no, that's interesting. That is, um, that is. So in the lead up to the first pregnancy, I didn't have a missed period to rely on, and um, 
I, I can't really remember specifically what it was, but I just remember a feeling. I, was, I just feel like I'm pregnant. I think there's, there's, you get the swollen breasts and the, mm -hmm. you know, but you can get those for, for a whole host of other reasons. Um, so when I did the t first home test, I was expecting it to be, to be positive, and it was. Mm -hmm. And then you still have to go to your midwife appointment for them to confirm. And I remember Simon saying, because he said, right, what can we do for you? Which I thought was really weird. I was like, well, presumably this first appointment is because we think I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be? And, and, and he, said, he said, well, have you done a pregnancy test? And I said, yeah. And he said, was it positive? And I said, yes. And he said, do you feel pregnant? And I said, yes. And he said, well, you're probably pregnant then. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Simon. <laughs> so, well, I'm like, so glad I've got the expert. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I can't really remember the specifics of what made me feel that way, but mm. I remember knowing that I was. But if I may just skip forward to the second experience. Please do. Please um, do. <laughs> yeah, I was full. So that was, uh, my children were born 21 months apart. So the pregnancies, I guess, from the end of one to the start, it was 12 months. And um, I did not know that I was pregnant. <laughs> and it took, actually, for a colleague at work to intimate, oh, she... She, we were chatting about something else, about you know how you know my first child was, and she sort of glanced at my belly with a knowing look and went, so, uh, uh, with a smile, as you it's say. It's always so, awkward, isn't it? Yeah, it wasn't, and I, and I said, oh, no, I just haven't got back into shape since, um, since having the baby. But then I got home that evening, and I, I looked at my belly, and I thought, ooh, <laughs> it does look a bit round. <laughs> Let's just use one of those spare tests just to eliminate the possibility. <laughs> so, and that was quite a different experience doing that pregnancy test where I was like, yeah, obviously I'm pregnant. Yeah, pregnant, knew it. This time it was, just to make sure I'm not. And the shock, and I don't know why I was so shocked in disbelief because I was then 40. I know how pregnancies occur. Um, <laughs> but I just did not, in the first, I knew I was and I, it just didn't occur to me that I was. Even when somebody asked me if I was. Could it be, and I, obviously I don't know, but could it be because your body has already gone through so many other things through having, you, you've had the baby now, your body's now adjusting to you haven't had regular periods anyway. So because your body's going through different things, you're not, you're not looking for anything. It's, if it is behaving strangely, you might just attribute it to something. Oh, well, maybe I'm just feeling, maybe my boobs are a bit sore today yeah. just because maybe. Exactly. There'd been no recovery. There was no, like I said, still haven't had That's what I mean. There was, no, yeah. there was no recovery. So. Breastfeeding, you know, you, you, who knows what they feel like from day to day. And I was back at work and yeah. I'm um, just going to interject quickly for our listeners. <laughs> breastfeeding is not contraception. Many <laughs> people believe that breastfeeding is contraception. It is not. I, I didn't talk me through that. I've never heard that. I've never heard that. Well, it's because the periods don't really return for the entire time that you're breastfeeding. Most right. people don't get a period. And breastfeeding offers a very thinly veiled layer of protection. Like a... Like a voil on your window, so <laughs> really, you can the light's still coming through. Yeah. Still coming through. Yeah. So it is a very, it's a teensy percentage of protection against pregnancy, based on the fact that you're not getting your period, whatever. However, it is not the amount of people that was well, breastfeeding, and I know Karen, you weren't using that as contraception, but I just thought this would be a great place to throw that. Yeah, just in case. Yeah, yeah. Breastfeeding is not <laughs> contraception <laughs> at all. <laughs> Two very different experiences of discovering uh, 
I remember you you ran the London Marathon mm. with uh, with child uh, with your second daughter in your mm. in your tummy. Um, so you would have been. Do you know how how pregnant you would have been then? Well, this there remains still a question mark over that. But mm. doing the dates, we feel we feel as though I say we that <laughs> <laughs> that um, was a possibility. So. Did you ask what were the exact dates? What was that? No, no, not oh, the oh. exact dates. Well, I was just saying, the, how, you, you, how pregnant were you at oh, that time? Oh, so it would have been weeks. Right, so if right, I, right. If I had been, it, it would have been weeks. Once they gave me my due date right, right. Um, of January the 8th, the London Marathon is in April. Mm. So it's weeks, um, weeks, yeah. Did you not so, also upsell as well, down a building? Well, that, that was, was the first. first. Yeah. That was with the first... <laughs> Pregnancy. Very active, Miss Carol. I don't know if you're picking that up to listeners. Uh, she's ever, ever so active. Ever so and interestingly, active. both her children are ever so active. Yes! So, um, no, no real shock or surprise there for any of us. something to, to you know, consider whether or not what's happening with the mother during the time of incubation does, in fact, in any way uh, influence the, uh, the outcome of what your children might want mm, to indeed, do. Indeed, indeed. I think you're absolutely right, Anita, in terms of not just the physical activity, but a great thing to just pop in at this moment as well is the mental health and, um, you know, the hormonal impacts of that do also affect babies. So in terms of stress, anxiety, depression, joy, all of those sorts of things, um, they do impact on the pregnancy. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's an important point. Thanks, Tony, for bringing that up. I think there was just there was something else that we wanted to talk to specifically about because Karen has been an athlete for most of her life. Um, I know that the I'm going to try and I'm going to try and, and pronounce it. Correct me if I'm wrong. The diastasis recti was a real. Is that did I pronounce it wrong? Well, uh, diastasis recti. I think it could be. You know. Yeah, and what what that is for our listeners, it, well, I'll let you explain it rather than I try to explain it. You explain what that is in in um, regards to pregnancy for you. Well, obviously, I'm, mine's going to be the lay explanation, but where the abdominal wall stretches to accommodate the growing baby, it normally and naturally will stretch and separate somewhat at the front around the belly button area, and after pregnancy, it would normally go back down and return to its pre pregnancy state but in a large number of women in fact um, it does not go back down and rejoin as it should do Mm -hmm. Um, and that can lead to a whole host of issues Mm. um, because during the pregnancy all the internal organs shift around and the abdominal wall then almost seals them back into place and if that doesn't happen to me um, it feels as though all my internal organs sort of like just literally fell down into the bottom of my abdominal cavity mm. and with no um, muscle to hold them back into place. Mm. There they remain. <laughs> and that, that's the process. And I, I mean, I don't know, you will know better than I, but is it, is it more likely or is it more of a devastating effect is too, maybe too strong, but because your muscles were so, so strong and so tight because of all of the exercise that you were doing, was that possibly why the separation was more painful or more pronounced? It, the separation know. isn't painful. The, the separation isn't, isn't painful. And I have heard it said that because of the strong muscles then don't... They reach They're a stretch flexible. point and then they are like, okay, well, we're not stretching beyond here, so they literally just... Right. That, that, that wasn't a word. I'll say that's not <laughs> <laughs> But we all, we all know what that means. We all know what that means. Sort of, split. They, they just split. Yeah. 
the elastic band has reached its maximum elasticity and it can no longer go. If you, you everyone's seen an elastic band that's been stretched beyond its elasticity and right. then it just doesn't return back to its, its normal state. So, so interestingly, this, the stat for um, for this occurrence is up to sixty eight percent of women will experience this. So wow. it's a, probably a lot more common than we think. And um, Karen made a really good point um, when we were talking about this about how you don't know if this is your first pregnancy or you haven't seen somebody another pregnant woman's post baby stomach you don't necessarily know if what i'm seeing is the normal this mm -hmm. is what my stomach looks like after i've had a baby or does that in you know that indication that actually something's not quite right here and if we've got more than half of the women who experience pregnancy possibly may have some sort mm -hmm. and I, I mine was not to the degree of karen's but i did have a separation with my second daughter um, so, you know, I think it's very interesting and, and useful for women to understand, mm -hmm. um, what that might look like and how they could recognize the symptoms for themselves. Uh, going back to with Karen's body being very athletic and the muscles being very tight, um, with you say, you know, the general population, I would say you all don't have a camera, you can't see, but will not look like Karen. The general <laughs> population is not going to have an athlete female body. So. Right. If you think of an analogy where you use an elastic band in it, if you have like those thin, really big elastic bands, they have actually a lot more stretch than the very, very wide, smaller, thicker elastic bands. They will only stretch so far and then they will just snap. Whereas you'll get the really floppy ones. And if you look at the different types of women, the women who have the really, really tight muscles, they're also likely to injure their backs, more likely to injure their backs in labor because of the pressure of the tight muscles. Whereas women who actually aren't as in shape or fit, and I'm not saying athletic, that, athletic, athletic, there's a lot more give and a lot more stretch. And then also you're less likely to notice the effects of it afterwards right. because it wasn't so tight in the first place. Mm. That's a really good, That's really good point. Excellent point. Really, really good point. But so we're not saying that you should basically uh, seek a level of unfitness in order to, <laughs> yeah. to, to make well, your pregnancy easier. Just put the cakes in an eater, I say. Why go to the gym? I'm just saying, if you're already just on, on the more chubby side, it's probably less likely that you may experience some benefits. of Benefits. Benefits, yeah. Benefits. But I know that was something that was important to you, Karen, and, and I wanted to just touch on it as we're talking about pregnancy. Did you want to talk about anything else around that in terms of, what could or couldn't have been spoken about because Anita, as Anita touched on if you don't know you don't you know you don't know yeah I think well this is my experience was that everybody I would say everybody the feedback you get after you've had a child and you're expressing concerns about how your body is afterwards Different. the feedback from I'm, I'm hesitating because I'm trying to think if there is an exception and I really don't think there was is your body, well, A, everybody says, it's going to take time, it will go back, it takes time, you've just got to be patient. And so that's the only feedback you get. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really leave room for you to go, but this really doesn't seem okay. This mm -hmm. something Because you, you don't know. You've got, everybody's telling you, you've got to give it time, your body will be different anyway. It's not right. going to go back exactly right. how it was. And so you've, there's, in the absence of, Anybody saying, well, could possibly be this, which I eventually did get that possibility raised, um, I think after my second birth, um, by which I wouldn't say it's too late, <laughs> but um, there is a period of time after which if the separation hasn't come back together, um, your options are then moving more towards surgery. Mm. 
um, because the body's almost missing. It's like if you've had a cut on your leg and it's just been left open for two years, it's going to not heal as quickly. Mm. As if so what are the ways to bring, the, to bring those together in terms of... Um... Thank you for asking, Gail. Because now, uh, eight years after the event, I feel very much more involved. <laughs> <laughs> it's and, and the thing that I guess the slightly frustrating thing now is I realise there is actually a lot of information out there. But I just didn't know the questions to ask to right. access it. Right. And in some cultures, it's a very acknowledged thing that straight after birth, you need to give that area some support in, a, in order for it to heal. So a lot of Eastern cultures, Malaysia, um, Japan, do what's called belly binding. And it's now becoming popular amongst Western um, cultures, which is literally does what it sounds like, which is you bind your abdominal muscles to bring them back together to support them in healing. In healing back. Um, and the that's, same way that you strap your ankle if you turned your ankle exactly, over. It's exactly, exactly the same. So you put it back into a position that's going to support it in, in healing. And I was just, I guess, very curious as to why that isn't standard standard Western practice. That's mm. still an alternative thing that women will seek out. Mm. Um, if they've got the knowledge and information to put them on that path. I'd say it would be basically come down to time and money. As the treadmill of care, as you all were saying, as we've all discussed, that's another layer to add onto care. The care you receive in hospital is generalised care. It's not individualised. It's not holistic. It's just general rotator care. And that is, unfortunately, all that can be allowed for. If you had to add on another layer of right now let's discuss belly binding here's your binder let me show how to do it yeah. just is i think it's what the capacity within the health system. I, I wouldn't ex expect that i wouldn't expect that layer a level of support what would be what i would have found useful is and the same way you get free support is even in a 15 minute even in a leaflet here take this home with you um things to look out for after you've um given birth if um, you notice a continued protrusion around your belly area. Mm -hmm. And if I need to say this is 68%, it's worth mentioning, I think, mm -hmm. in, in a leaflet. No, no professional even has to say anything. Just if you notice these three bullet points, just three bullet points, then you may want to consider um, belly binding. You may want to consider seeing a physio. This might be... Diastasis yeah, recti. But for many other things, don't they? In, in terms of like side effects or whatever, there's always other ways to get the information out there, isn't there? there but again, I mean, my last birth experience was six years ago, so that, and things move on quite quickly, so that might even be um, happening. Who knows? If you not, it's something that we can champion change for, perhaps. You know? Yes, Maybe yes. We can in this Beyond Purpose community. We can have a, but, in, but that's, a, that's a really um, interesting and important things you wish you'd known, Karen. And I think part of my, one of the things I was very acutely aware of um, after I had both of my children was, and I read a book called What to Expect When You're Expecting When I Had My First Child. Mm -hmm. And yet there are still so many things that came to my knowledge after the fact that were not in that book and they're things that upon discussions with other women it, be, it seems to be oh yeah we know that or yes such and such a person mm -hmm. told me so it'd be interesting just to see what other things perhaps we wish we as, as a collective we wish things we wish we would have known somebody could have just mentioned like karen mm -hmm. said even if it's not part of your medical intervention i know for me um pelvic floor exercises are critical would have been something i'd really really wish nice somebody, <laughs> somebody could have just shared with me just doing those kegel exercises and it, you know it, it very possibly was something that was mentioned in terms of my general 
But the importance of that for a woman, not just in pregnancy, but how that will impact you through the whole of your life, actually, and the weakening of your pelvic floor and what that might mean in terms of so many other women's health conditions that can yeah. come from the weakened pelvic floor. Certainly, um, hemorrhoids. That's oh, another well. really common one, which a lot of women, you know, suffer from post-pregnancy. Post um, I, I just, again, I don't feel like that was something that, now, pretty much any woman I've ever spoken to who had babies, it's like, oh, yeah, 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 you get piles. I see that. Um, you know, that's a, a discomforting mm. uh, situation. And the final one for me, which I've only found out very recently, um, is that your, your genetic code actually changes once having a baby. This was so interesting um, to me, Nick. Again, things that one, one should just to make an informed decision maybe about, you know, some things. <laughs> um, just really interesting to understand that you know, having children actually changes your your genetic code. Can you explain to our listeners how how that happens and and why 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 you found out would explain, I guess, why. How do we find? I think oh, it started when we we were all oh, doing, doing our um, ancestry um, DNA. our DNA mm -hmm. genetic uh, testing, um, and it was just very interesting to see that, or it was alarming, I guess, initially, see that there was. There was genetic markers from ethnicities that didn't didn't um, appear in our parents' DNA, and I think it was Tony actually that told, she. You, I don't know if you found it out from doing the same thing. Um, yeah, and then talking to someone else, and so we found something very unusual in their DNA. Um, but there's a, there's an actual name for it. What, what the uh, the name for the genetic mutation that. We'll, we'll put it in the show notes. Put it in the show notes. Um, the show notes. But essentially, when you carry a child, obviously we know that the child has the DNA coding from both parents, but as the mother carrying that child, that DNA from the father mm -hmm. is, there's, a, there's an element of transferring of, uh, as we know, your blood from the mother to the child during the time you're carrying the baby. But that DNA code that is then part of that baby also remain a percentage of that remains in the mother because you've been passing blood back and forth across that placenta wall during the time wow. that you're carrying it so your inherent ge um, genes your genetic dna is now inclusive of the dna of the child that you've carried and that increases the more pregnancies that you have that increases the residual for want of a better word that remains within your in your own genetic coding Karen's looking like... I'm just having a, 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 a wondering, if you like. You know, sometimes you see some families and you see that the husband and wife have started to look like each other. And I wonder whether that... Ooh. And I've heard that explained. I've heard that phenomenon explained through facial expressions. Or people assume the same facial expression, so your muscles then take on the same, and that's how right, people's faces right. change. The mirroring of it. But, it, like you said, it increases with... With each birth, if a woman's had five, six, seven children, I mean, she is basically becoming, slowly, albeit slow, she's basically becoming her husband. <laughs> mm, maybe a distant relative.
to Anita's things that she wished she knew because I am happy to report that uh, obviously this was 25 years ago and you were mm-hmm, Jada. Mm-hmm. The things that you're mentioning are things that are regularly discussed now. So, oh, well, that is great. How yeah, you? So um, I'm happy to report on that, that in, in this current practice times, I know uh, most appointments I'm mentioning, are you doing your pelvic floors? We're discussing the where's, the why's, the how-to's. Um, and great. also in terms of things like hemorrhoids, we discuss that a lot. Things that I think are not discussed enough are um, breastfeeding and the impacts of breastfeeding and the preparation for breastfeeding. So I, I tend to cover a lot of that in my uh, antenatal appointments with women because I feel like there needs to be more prep for women. And it's, it's definitely a choice. And if women want to choose it, I support them wholeheartedly. But I think there needs to be a realistic discussion around it more so than the baby comes out and you get the crawling towards the breast and latches on it's all sunshiny it's not necessarily in most <laughs> cases and i think that's really important and i also think it's important not to shame women who choose not to breastfeed mm-hmm. um because you know people say well breast is best and it is the best type of milk but a fed baby is actually best and at the risk of women's mental health who yes. will tear themselves into pieces who do not breastfeed um, because they think you know they're doing something wrong or they failed. I think that's wrong as well. Um, so that's something else I, I think should be discussed more is is breastfeeding and the you know if, if that's what you want to do. I think the the reality of it should be discussed more. Um, I think I I don't know what else I think I wish I because I, I I feel like I took so many maybe because no one was talking to me in my antenatal classes maybe that's why I. Uh, <laughs> Because you did, you took it upon yourself to do your own research. Then yes, as we are, I'm a questioner, aren't I? Oh, Previous discussions, Gretchen Rubin's uh, quiz will tell me that I'm a questioner. So I, I did do a lot of research. And now, when you, if you have any teenage uh, mothers that come into your practice, into your clinic or your practice or your path, your professional path, does that inform how you communicate with with them? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. Um, you know, I imagine I, so, yeah. Yeah, because I just want them to know that it's going to be fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's going to be okay, despite what everyone is telling you, despite the own fears that you may have. There's, there is. I, I like to let them know how much support there is, even if they if they don't feel fully supported. There's so much support out there, and I am here to support them as well. Yeah. That's. That You're the best support. You're the best no. support I feel. <laughs> the whole service, the best support. Karen, a little bit biased. <laughs> slightly, slightly biased. Karen, what do you wish you'd known beforehand? Other than your belly binding. Yeah. Yes. Other than the belly binding, there's really just one thing that I wish and I not wish I yeah, wish I had known, which I would like to impart to other women, particularly maybe those that choose to have a home birth, because I don't know if it's partly because of that. Um, but in the same way that you you will know that you need to go and get maternity pads for after the birth, I would always recommend also get a black towel. <laughs> Get a black towel. Have some black towels. Get a few black towels, maybe. Yeah, just a couple of bath towels, and um, just so that that's not an extra worry when you're coming out of the shower. Mm. Um, and that's just not something that you would think about. But yeah. I hope that just hope helps at least one person. Mm. <laughs> black towels. Very good. Very mm. good. Well, ladies, I am very, um, very thrilled and thankful for your sharing and imparting your experiences with us and the listeners today, as the the only non-pregnant person of the foursome. It's really interesting to have these discussions with you. 
So thank you very much. I don't, I don't know if you want to add any differences. We didn't really compare because we know each pregnancy is different, right? Each mm. child is different. And there's something almost as an add-on, which I'm sure is going to have a possibly a podcast of its own. But I wanted to talk about the difference of gender very briefly um, and in the context of gender reveal parties because pregnancy and gender reveal parties are, are, are something that's had a little bit of backlash over the last few weeks. I don't know if you're aware of people are not wanting to re reveal other people are really adamant to reveal um, gender reveal. Number one, is there a difference in carrying the children? And would you... I don't think anybody had gender reveal parties here, did they? It wasn't a thing. No, just wasn't, no, a thing. wasn't a thing. And how do you feel about it as as now carrying different Anita, I know you had two you had two girls, so you had the same gender. Tony, you've had I had two boys and a girl, and I found out what I was gonna have, but I would have never really considered that I needed to make a big party out of it. I I wanted to know just because I wanted to know who was inhabiting my space. <laughs> <laughs> That's I fair enough, it's an incubation and you yeah, want fair yeah. enough, I feel. And I, I, I wish I was the sort of person actually who could have the surprise because actually delivering baby my favourite deliveries are the ones that parents who didn't know what they were having. Right. They've right. been my favourite ones to kind of be that like to, that whole and to see the emotion on their faces. So you are the gender reveal. You're you the are the one that tells them it's a boy. Yeah, well so it's usually the dad wants to know, so I'll just show the dad and then the dad will tell the mum and then they'll all cry and it's wonderful. And I and I wish I could do that for myself, but I just know I could not go for nine months not knowing you know, they're taking up so much of my space, time, energy. I just need to know. <laughs> which, is, which she's really delighted about. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thrill, it's a thrill. Absolutely thrilled about. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just needed to know. For, so I could just kind of figure out, which again is the controversial issue, um, my little boy or my little girl. I think that's right. the controversy of the moment, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, I wasn't even talking about it. That is a part of it, but more I was, I was thinking about is there a difference in carrying a boy to carrying a girl? Is there a difference in the pregnancy? I mean, my pregnancies were very different and I have two girls. So That's, I think that there is, there is a perception and there are certain, whether it's old wives tales or, mm. or whatever, but there's some things which persist to, to this mm. day, I believe. Like if your stomach's pointy, it right. means it's a boy. Um, I even had people swinging um, rings over my stomach. So if it goes one way, it's a girl. It's another way, it's a boy. But people believe these things. Right. Um, and <laughs> yeah, I was I told adamantly that the second, that my second pregnancy was a boy. Everyone was telling me it was a boy because I was so pointy. Um, and I was also carrying very low. I think that's another another mm -hmm. thing which is supposed to be indic indicative of which gender it is. So, um, but, but then clear, and I, I experienced the pregnancies differently. So... As I said earlier, I felt differently with both of them. So that right. all of those things could have led me to believe, well, and I didn't find out the second time. So the first time I did find, I knew that I was having a girl. Mm -hmm. I intentionally didn't find out the second time. Mm. However, if, you know, given all of those differences, there would be every reason to believe because I was having a completely different experience. Therefore, I was having a, a, a different, different, a different yeah. sex child. Um, but as it transpires, both of my children are girls. Mm. So I don't know whether or not there is any is there sufficient evidence to show that these are consistently different ways that you carry an experienced pregnancy which will indicate um what you know you're carrying a boy or carrying a girl i know the other one of the other things is if it's a girl or which number which way around it take the a girl takes more from the mother into like your hair quality and nails differ when you're yeah, carrying a girl yeah, yeah, because yeah. 
that's going into creating that in the girl. But my thing is, well, boys have hair and nails as well. True. <laughs> so true. I don't, you know. So I don't know. When I say I don't know scientifically whether there there are significant things that you can point to, but from my experience, I would say that you know every pregnancy is different because every pregnancy is different, right. not because the child and that's inside of you is different. It's different, and I think every every mother is going to be different. Even you, you of course, you carried two children, but you would have been different four years later. You would have been Absolutely. different yes. a year later. So everybody... And my life circumstances is different. were different. So all of, of those factors are what are going to influence how I feel, what's mm. my body doing. The emotional stuff you were talking about, Tony, in terms yeah. of how... Yeah. Absolutely. Your yeah. mental place, whether you're prepared for it or not, whether you planned it or not. Mm. You know, all of those things are going to determine how you carry because that's who, what's going on for you. Exactly. Mm. And there's a decade between my two boys, so I was a very different person between 16 and 26. Right. So, yes, I had two boys, two pregnancies. All of my pregnancies were completely different, the girls and the boys. So, what, the Danny, Danny and the, uh, and the two boys, they were all completely different. So no, I don't. I don't think they even say there's like a heartbeat difference. One's a galloping, and one's a this. If it's a boy, then it's really yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're listening in, but I just I don't really buy any of it. This has been such an insightful um, episode, and as the healthcare professional, Tony, um, I just wanted to ask for you regarding a birth plan. Should ladies make or parents? I'll say that. Should parents make a birth plan? In your view? Yeah. So. You know, I'm very much into individualised care. So if somebody wants to make a birth plan and they are the personality type that needs a birth plan, go for it. There are those people who may not want to have any kind of plan at all and they'll be at the other end. I think somewhere in the middle that makes sense for everybody um, is to make a preference list. Make a birth preference list, things that you would prefer to happen, that you'd like to happen, but always be open to the fact that things in labour can change very, very quickly, mm. always with the safety of mother and baby in mind. And if you just keep your mind open to that, all will be well. Fabulous, thank you very much. And Anita, as our um, facts person, Close us off with some with some fun facts that might not be that fun, but uh, I'll try make give, give us some fun, fun, fun facts. as possible. But mm -hmm. some interesting things to note about pregnancy. It's an amazing and exciting journey, as we've outlined today. And there's many strange changes that happen to your body and unexpected surprises that can pop up. And here's a few that I found quite interesting. Your heart actually grows when you're pregnant. Mm. So we think about mothering, I suppose, as your heart figuratively growing to as you become a mother, but your physical heart actually increases because your blood volume in your body increases by 50%. And that's because obviously your heart's beating faster and stronger and it has to grow larger then to um, support that little miracle that's growing in your womb. Another fun fact, it's possible to be pregnant for longer than a year. Good Lord. Just pop in here, this whole uh, misnomer about uh, nine months. It's 40 weeks. Mm -hmm. 40 weeks is actually 10 months, guys, mm -hmm. um, for and most women. Yeah, and then if they, if they allow, quote unquote, you to go through like three weeks after, the three weeks can they let you go? They, two. two. Not even anymore, they really kind of want you out at 41, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. Jolly was, uh, she's only 8th and born on the 25th. I can't remember how much over that Also is. varies country to country because in France you can go for longer. So it, it varies. Person to person, but yeah. Sorry, Nita, it was your fact. It's fine because that varying to vary, varying from country to country is interesting because the, the longest recorded pregnancy is actually a woman in Los Angeles called Beulah Hunter. 
um, and her pregnancy was recorded at 12 and a half months long, which was a whopping three months wow. older than wow. the average pregnancy. Um, which I'm figuring if you have pretty much a one year old coming out of you, there's going to be some real different <laughs> phys physiological differences in that child, other than being probably quite a big baby. But it's also possible for babies to be born with teeth. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking that baby probably came out with a, a peg or two um, if it was in there for a year and a half. Um, we talked about food cravings. Ooh. Now, I, I kept mine within actual food items, <laughs> the chicken wings, although being a vegetarian was a strange thing to crave. But there's a thing called pica, um, which is a craving of non-food items. It's considered to be an eating disorder, I suppose, but 30% of women who are pregnant will have a non-food craving during 30%. pregnancy. That's, that's fairly high, though. Yeah. Um, Tony, do you want to talk about your uh, <laughs> thing that you might have craved? Petrol. Uh, there are many people, and I, I've actually always liked the smell of petrol throughout life. I remember that as a child. Throughout life. <laughs> but um, during my pregnancy with Aiden, the, my last child, I struggled to not lick the nozzle <laughs> I, I did succeed in my struggle <laughs> yes there. all children are okay yeah no I didn't actually because I knew it was wrong but <laughs> I guess the only that's the closest I've maybe ever come to being a drug addict oh, wow. to, wow. I've never you know I've never really understood the you know the pull of I must have I must have and it was it was really really tricky to crave something that you knew was harmful, dangerous, not edible, and not be able to have it. So, like I said, I overcame. No mm. petrol was drunk, but I did Proud want to put you. it in my mouth. Mm. Some of the not. other bizarre non-food cravings that uh, have been recorded that we know about, things like soap and chalk and dirt. Sponges. With sponges yeah. and paper and such forth. Um, yeah, we'll just move on from that mm -hmm. one. Um, heartburn. Now, that's something that a lot of women experience. Um during pregnancy but there is actually and whether it's an old wives tale or not there's a link to heartburn women who experience heartburn during pregnancy and babies being born with a full head of hair i don't know what the scientific uh, connection to that might be um if there's any if there is any um but that's 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 one thing and then our final one um, is a, a the, the only scientifically proven method to bring on labour, and I think we have talked about uh, in those end stages really wanting to to bring things on. Too close. Yeah, things <laughs> are close. People have you know had curries and pineapple and okras. Another one. Okras, tea. yes. Tea. Different yeah. teas, but the only scientifically proven method to bring on labour is actually nipple stimulation. And the reason behind that is, is that um, stimulating your nipples actually tricks your body into thinking that you're feeding your baby. Now, when you're breastfeeding, your body releases a hormone called oxytocin. Um, and oxytocin actually helps to kickstart contractions. And obviously, the contractions is what helps to progress your labour. Um, so, so any other thing that uh, stimulates the release of oxytocin? Yeah. possibly why people talk about having sex as a, a um, and I suppose within the sexual act, <laughs> yeah. there, there may be nipple stimulation in that, but um, 
specifically? So the key thing here, ladies, because we have a lot of discussion at the, about this at the end of the pregnancy, um, where women talk about should I have sex, and they talk about it in a very functional sense, because I think the <laughs> misconception is it is the act of this, you know, the member, <laughs> the male member bringing on the contractions through various poundings. <laughs> what we need to remember, ladies, is that the sexual act at the end of pregnancy must be um, not functional, but beneficial to you. You must enjoy mm -hmm. the act somehow, mm -hmm. even to his deficit. Mm. Wow, 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 wow. It's about you if you want to start the labour, not about him. Absolutely. So because at the end of the day, you are the one that's incubating the human. Mm -hmm. It's about that oxytocin release. So whatever it is for you that releases the maximum amount of oxytocin, <laughs> get that going. <laughs> <laughs> crack on, ladies. Crack on. For medicinal purposes. <laughs> As prescribed. It's a, it's a medical need. <laughs> Just pointing out there are no actual obstetricians on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> we're just here for you girls just here for you well it's been fascinating thank you ladies so much for sharing your stories i know there's so many other areas we could go into um but i think one of the things that comes to mind that we have touched about is how it is for you and maya angelo talks about I'm sure we're going to come to this saying another many many times but she says very clearly people will forget what you say People will forget what you do, but they will never, ever forget the way you make them feel. And I know, Tony, that was something that was true for you and your, and your journey and your experience. So with, with, that, with that in mind, I've been Anita. I've been Karen. I've been Tony. And I've been Gail. And we, we have been On Purpose. Thanks for listening.